And that's why I rewatched Under the Skin because I was like, Oh, I was wondering why you watched that. That's cool. Like that came to me. Did you not like it the first time? I liked it fine. But now you loved it. It's the second time. I did not see five stars and a heart. So I think that also, and the summer of 2014 is like the lowest point on my depression scale. Ah. Oh, okay. And that would be when I watched that. that so you weren't enjoying good. things. I just hated life. There are a lot of things I saw for the first time that summer that I'm like, I know. I'm what else was that wrong. summer? Did you, only lovers left alive. Why are you pacing? Why don't you what have about, a seat? What about love and what about love and mercy then? <laughs> I don't think I saw a lot of mercy. Are we recording? That's why I wanted you to sit your ass down. Five stars and a heart. Five stars and a heart. Yelling and pacing my home. Jesus. Jean Dielman. Five stars and a heart. I am. Two stars and a fart. We also have some Jean Dielman. That was was me watching Game Night. Two stars and a fart. Game Night is so bad. I know. I haven't seen it. It is so bad. But, you know, I was prepared to like it. I've been prepared to like it for months, mm-hmm. and I hated it. Okay, well, this is just not going to work out for me. You're Are you trying to twist your mic? Yeah, every fucking week I think I can I can finally screw it in. And no, that's not a thing mm-hmm. that these it's not, it's not, no, And every do. week I learn, oh, no, that's not what that twisty thing does. Correct. I have um, a presentation. Oh, do you? Um, not a presentation, but a gift. Yes, everyone. Oh. Can I show you? I I wonder what it could be. Boyfriend of the pod, Kyle. <laughs> Is this Wait. not my Days of Heaven criterion? Huh? You didn't bring my... I thought that you were doing no. a dramatic hostage no. give back. No. Brandon That's says he's going to watch it. I'm going to watch I, it. And I believe him. <gasps> he went to the <laughs> ABBA Museum in Sweden and got us all lanyards. Oh, my oh God. My God. They're mama, thank you. They're Mamma so Mia lanyards. Mamma Mia. Here I go again. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello again. My, my, how can I resist you? So he wanted to give that please, to the film Please fags. tell him I said thank you, Mr. Jackpots. He'll <laughs> thank you, Kyle. He'll listen to this. Thank and you so much. Ooh, and there's fine print. Oh, it, it just Benny, Says, Bjorn, Stig. Stig? Copy, oh, copy Kyle Stevens is going to think you were referring to him as boyfriend of the podcast. Is he already boyfriend of the well, pod? in a way. <laughs> Do we have multiple boyfriend of the pods? Mm-hmm. Boyfriends of boyfriends the pod. Boyfriends of the pod. We have yes. several. I think a hundred at least. <laughs> they must all be texting you. Although after no. the last episode, they might not be anymore. No one's ever going to Have you been me. left alone since that? I, I really have. <laughs> People listen and they're like, oh. No, I just think it's because I'm not on Twitter, and so they don't text me. Because you're not. Because I'm not there. Online. Yeah. So you were just rewatching Under the Skin, speaking of things that you weren't doing, or that you were doing, mm-hmm. instead of surfing the web. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts? Any feelings? Did you feel like the black blob alien figure burning? I always, I, I always feel like the the man who is dragged down inflates and then pops and then turns into mm, a skin balloon. in the, a skin bag. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I feel like the crying baby on the beach. Oh, oh, that is that is one of the rougher images in a film I have seen recently. Yeah. When the guy on the motorcycle goes to pick up whatever she left, I forget, and then and the baby's crying. And you think he's walking to pick up the baby, and he, he just, just walks passes right him. past. It's so horrifying. What I love about Under the Skin is that. I mean, if you want to talk about an empathy IMO movie, it starts yeah. out as this cold, unforgiving, harsh exploration of 
like that this alien is walking amongst humans and just exercising no compassion, which like there are plenty of films that exercise that sort of worldview around humanity, but then she ends up learning to love and to have empathy. And there's that amazing, like one of my favorite visual moments of that year is when it's Scarlet who is now damaged goods. Uh, but Scarlet has the, like the, because of that, she agreed to play a, trans character it's not only that she agree- it's not oh, only it's not that. only when that she that it's not recently. only that she agreed to play a trans character it's that she told her representative um a, a, as her comment to like she told her representative oh, teleporters yeah. um go talk to jeffrey tambor jared leto and felicity huffman's representatives which is just uh, about the wor- the most tone yeah. deaf mm-hmm. inhumane statement was so actually the opposite of what I'm, what I'm saying in terms of uh, loving your fellow human beings. But that great, the great moment when like everything around her face turns gold, and um, mm. I, like I just remember a lot of gold, and it's very. It looks like um, it looks like a Father John Misty music video, but more apropos, the pictures that Casey Musgraves has been tweeting out from her uh, from her tour with all these sort of halos of I haven't red seen and gold all over. Oh, I'll, I'll show them to you. They're they're quite psychedelic, nice, nice. and lovely. I like the scene where she looks at her vagina with a lamp. Yes, same. I thought you were going to mention that scene. No. I do love that. I love when she eats the cake. Oh, I don't she remember the cake. spits it out in front of everyone in this diner. Uh, and She's just learning to be alive. Mm-hmm. I love when the guy with, I don't know, what do you, elephantitis? Um, well, yes. Is that what you call that? Is that what that means? I believe so. Okay. I just I don't think. want to get it wrong. No, I mean we can we can research it and take this out. Um, no, it's fine. I can be seen as ignorant. Um, <laughs> he pinches himself. It's there's an insert shot. He pinches himself. I love it. Oh, that's sweet. Are you dragging me? Because I always ask you to cut out the things that I think no. I seem ignorant. No, I mean I was just joking. I'm just not irritated. The, the, that. This this though you have to. Huh? Well, you know I'll tell you later because I'm not going to give you anything else to cut out. But remind don't me. Don't give him more work. No, just remind me after we finish recording the actor from Under the Skin. Okay. I'm just so irritated that ScarJo is effectively canceled. Well, I mean she canceled herself. Well, yeah. I'm just mad at her because yeah. I liked her and then she became stupid. But she's probably always been stupid. She's, she's dating Colin Jost. I mean, I think that no. your choice in, in partner says a lot about you sometimes. Yeah. I think she's just, it's finally been revealed that she she is what she was all along. Well, it's just that like she didn't take any of the criticisms to heart about Ghost in the Shell, for instance. Right, right. She just keeps doing it. it. And I she mean, doesn't care. I, it seems like she does not care. and yeah. that Which can, is upsetting. Yes. I mean, I, I, think that, I, think, I think that there are right. some people who see outrage on the internet and assume angry mob speaking nonsense mm-hmm. rather than there are actually cogent points here um, about humanity that you are missing because you are in an ivory tower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Someone repurposed the her Ivanka SNL thing complicit. That's great. Mm. I forget who it was. Nice. It's someone we all follow, and he was like, mm, this this so applicable now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hell yeah. Whoever that is, way to go. <laughs> it's she just like now solidarity complicit. She got with herself. famous at 18, and you stop aging when you become famous at that right. age. So. She's, <laughs> yeah, so. It's just disappointing. We want, we want better from people like that. We yeah. do. I just think that I think that if you that if you misuse your platform like that, I just it, it's hard for me to be back in your camp at a mm-hmm. certain point because it's just a flagrant. Um, it's just very disrespectful to use your platform in that way to just like punch down. Mm-hmm. I, think, yeah. I think it's kind of unconscionable and unforgivable on some level. But 
I'm also just very angry, <laughs> you know, about everything. You're lit tonight. Oh, no, I just don't mean tonight. I mean everything that's been going on for the past, you know, two years. But oh, also, right. like, yes. especially the last week. I'm, I'm fucking furious. Yes. Same. Yes. I've been living in my bubble for a week. Do you want to talk about that? No, I feel great. I've been reading. What's that? <laughs> I've relearned How to lit- read. literacy. When, uh, when the... It's Supreme Court Cameron Diaz no was more. announced last night. <laughs> and I when the what was announced? The Supreme Court nominee was announced <laughs> last night. And the notification popped up on my phone from the news. Uh-huh. I was like, I'm so glad I don't have to see any tweets about this. Yeah. I, I mean, I, 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 I was so I just, I, I, just I wasn't on Twitter, off. but like, I, I, was, I was reading. I was just like, I don't want the discourse. Well, sure. I mean, the, well, that's a separate conversation. But... Um, I mean, actually, I'm not no, saying I don't want the news. No, of course, no, I, I know. No, and I was going to say that's that is sort of the. Um, it's hard to leave Twitter if you if you depend on it not like for people's yes. takes as your news, but you know that all of your outlets are going to tweet their links, right. and so it's just an easy aggregate. Yes. And so I have found when I'm not on Twitter that I I have to work twice as hard, which is still not that hard to keep up on the news because mm. I actually have to go to the platform the to the news source rather than right. just have it pop into my feed. Mm-hmm. But then you have to wade through the takes to get to the links. Right. Which is I'm annoying. done with takes. Me too. Pretty I mean, much. We're, we're, I, I hear you and you're right. We are about to record an hour and a half podcast of ex- exclusively of our takes. But yeah, but this is not a tweet. I know. I just said I know what you mean. I'm, <laughs> I'm fucking kidding, Ben. Okay. Okay, shut up. <laughs> this is Movies IMO. Yeah, ben, come on. We're here to talk this week Jesus. about... Deborah Granick's new film, Leave No Trace. Um, it's about... Which is not a film about any of us leaving Akbar at uh, 2 a.m. Oh. When it closes, we have certainly left some sort of trace. Oh. oh. <laughs> well, not like that. Ew. I mean, like, we've broken a glass. Well, or, Ben... Or played some great B-52s uh, tracks on the jukebox. Ben trouble every day all over oh. some surface. Oh. Brandon. God. This is a, this is a family podcast. <laughs> But by family, I mean the family that we choose. True. Which, as queer people, we get to do. Wow. Thank you, RuPaul. Um, well, I, I mean, I think you could credit that to other people, too. Well, yes. yes. But the famous meme is RuPaul. I'm not talking about the meme. I'm talking about things that I heard. You, in you a, in phrased a, in a it exactly the way he did that. Well, I'm saying it just like the speaker at this group I was at today did, too. So maybe right. he was quoting RuPaul, or maybe it's just a thing that, uh, I mean, my therapist. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. My therapist says it. Like it's a common watch, phrase. Watch Drag Race? For the My queer. therapist does watch Drag Race. Yes, so, there. But oh. he started this season, and he, he and we're talking like two years ago when he was trying to figure out like what was wrong with me. Like a, a smart and a smart starting point was to be like, is this a gay person who is still dealing with some form of shame or internalized homophobia that has forced him to go uh, hermit himself? And so like it was like, well, you know, we get to we get to make our own families like. You know, even if your family hates you, and I'm like, mm-hmm. no, my family's generally cool. <laughs> it's other things. What are we talking about? <laughs> We're talking about Leave No Trace, which is a film about a father and a daughter who live in the bush, and mm. doing they, the bush, baby. And they get caught by some rangers. Mm-hmm. And okay, I'm not. This is not like I'm pointing this out as I think it's a flaw of the you film. You are literally pointing, but <laughs> this is very aggro. What kind of fucking person is going on a jog in a national park and they see someone they call the cops on them that's crazy they see a child and they call the cops okay that's I've, I've, yeah they saw I, a child i was i was going along with it because it was a child i was just he like saw a child in like trees i'm just like i would be concerned 
I would not do anything. <laughs> I, I will also say, like, national... I mean, I wouldn't... I, right. I, I will say national park or not, I have been on hikes before uh, where you see people who are experiencing homelessness or choosing mm-hmm. to live there, like, on a ridgeline. And, and actually, there's one hike I regularly do in Altadena, and I have, like... I have like spoken with some folks before who have asked like, is the trail busy today? Like trying to figure out if they can get up there. So I do think that, and and maybe that example is more apropos to what we're saying here, but like, I think that that is a, I think that some people are narcs, but I think in this case, it's just the fact that um, it was a child. As I'm just saying, fuck that guy. Oh, fuck him. Well, yeah. Well, like she was just reading. Correct. Well, no, and and for that reason, fuck him, because she was just trying to get some learning done. You don't know no. that she was reading the goddamn she encyclopedia, lived there or that she was lost. She was just trying or... to learn about seahorses. Maybe she was on a hike and she just laid down for a read. She needed a rest. In which case, then the rangers would have shown up and nothing would have been there. Right. Anyway, but I do want to talk about the. Uh, you know, we don't have to. We don't have to jump off with it, but uh, just the idea of whether or not uh, the government is a villain or just a complicated other character in the film but i don't want to start there so then what yeah, but what else are we what else are we talking about and then we will, which also pops up in one of the other films we mm-hmm. will get into some father-daughter films yes i brought twin peaks firewalk with me oh god what <laughs> that's so mean <laughs> i brought <laughs> i brought paper moon <laughs> i brought tony erdman oh i didn't know we brought th- i brought beasts yeah I thought you brought Beasts. I did too, actually. No, you did. Oh, great. I, you, I, you brought Beasts and Beasts. I suggested it, and you didn't have an idea, so you said, I'll do that. I claimed it. Mm-hmm. I brought Beasts of the Southern Wild. <laughs> I find Ben Zeitlin. I find sometimes when, when I need an idea and I just can't seem to grab one, that I just open up the fridge and grab an ice-cold Anchor Steam beer as to oh. sort of to get the lubrication going in the mind gears. And that, that generally, I, I will then think of Beasts and some beers, you know? The beer that I thought Rachel McAdams was cracking open in the film... Game night. Well, thank God it wasn't. Thank God it was a Newcastle brown ale, which we are we do not like here. How was it the only Swill. product, the only product unnamed throughout the entire movie? <laughs> you know which movie has a lot of product placements is the major motion picture book club, which I just saw mm. over the weekend. What are they product naming? I don't even remember. Oh, hold on. Did uh, you see it? Uh, oh, book fuck. Uh, no. uh, what, what's the Italian restaurant? Uh, Baca, de, Baca de Bingo or Buca de Beppo? I love a Buca oh, de Beppo. Oh, is that real? They go to Buca? Buca de Beppo is Where like, do they live in this movie? In, um, have you not seen it? I never I, seen I just it. saw it. I went they to the live in LA, here. but they go to Arizona. They go to Arizona, where where, uh, where her daughter, um, Alicia Silverstone, lives. Her daughters live in Scottsdale. Oh, of course they do. But there's there's which, other there's other product you know what? There's other product placements. If you remember in the other uh, glaring, do they go to a Barnes and Noble. And they don't go to Barnes and Noble, <laughs> but they probably go to like a Pier One. I don't remember. Do but they if you enter remember, a time machine and go to a Borders. I miss borders. My mom's cousin got back from New York once and said... Is that the story? <laughs> no, and said... <laughs> she went to the big city? She rolled her eyes and said, it was so dirty and the shopping is better in Scottsdale. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. They got a book of Peppa for one thing. It's true. They got those family-style dishes. I've never been there. Do they have a Pazuki branded? God, I wish. I'd be there every day if they had a Pazuki. No, they have trays of lasagna that are the size of Ben's dining table. Ooh. <laughs> How fun. Do they Portioned have like out challenge? for four people. Do they have a challenge to eat the whole thing? No. Oh. But in the Buca de Peppo in Livonia, Michigan, there <laughs> is uh, a table where you can sit with the Pope. But 
It's only is his... it the old pope or the or the new pope? Uh, I think it's the old pope. Is who wants to, who wants to eat with that bloated vampire? <laughs> or is it like a photo? No or a statue. No, it's get this. It's just his head. Oh. It's a bust from the center of the table. Not even a bust. It's a model of Wait, his so, head. Wait, so he, so he's like in the haunted mansion. He's mm. the woman in the crystal ball. Yes. Holy and shit. he's in the center of the table. And you just sit, you eat with his severed head. That sounds, um, well, depending on your views of the Catholic Church, frankly, could be cathartic. Ooh. (laughs) Hello. Hello. Anyway. Hello. Oh, I couldn't see Book Club. Because when, when it was during the heat wave, I wanted to see a movie, but then I didn't want to drive to Pasadena for Book Club, so I went to oh, see all there was? RBG. Yeah. It's Thanks. at the Dollar Theater. Which I have opinions on. What do you think about RBG? I saw it. It's it's not great. <laughs> I'd, it's I hagiography. Did you see it, Ben? No, not yet. It's not, it's even, not, it's not even It's that. not even hagiography. It's too shallow for that, because hagiography implies that we dot a lot of pieces of the life. It made sure. me realize that, oh... So the book's not even that good? Like, is the book Notorious RBG, like, also very surface level and shallow? It's a coffee table book. That's what, honestly... The the doc is a coffee table book. Yeah, absolutely. Version of... What's frustrating about RBG is that she has lived such a rich life. And, like, I want the media... I mean, I'm on the record as wanting it to be, like, an eight-hour PBS miniseries where, where, like, certain cases are 90-minute episodes. It just, like, the filmmakers take as... it, It seems like... They really only started getting into Ruth Bader Ginsburg like four years ago sure. when the meme started popping up. They jumped up. on the trend. And they were like, we're the going to make the meme movie. Yeah. They literally cut to the same BuzzFeed article like four times. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? And and by the way, I just, I saw three identical strangers over the weekend. Which, oh, did you like it? No. Oh. Uh, I mean, it's okay. Good, I'll skip it. But it dropped in my estimation even more than more I was sitting with it for a number of reasons. But without spoiling anything, I would just say they played the same... So not not I don't just don't want to say the same clip because that implies it's only one clip. They play like eight different clips three or four times throughout the movie, and it feels a lot oh. like in Three Identical Strangers when they do this. It feels a lot like the end of Fifty Shades Freed when we get an, a <gasps> montage of mm. the entire series yeah. before don't the tell me before that. the I'll climactic kiss. It. Well, I actually I think it's worth seeing because it, it is a divisive movie, so there's a chance you might fall one way or the other. And it's totally like Errol Morris inspired, so it has like some of the um, the recreations are stylishly mm. shot. But I just think that um, when it comes to the way that it doles out some of its information, it, it, it um, I don't know, it crosses some lines that I think are very uncomfortable. Oof. Very uncomfortable. The most recent documentary I saw was Won't You Be My Neighbor? That's the doc to see. Great. Really, really nice movie. Which is very good. I very, very good. good. I want to read his little book of like how to live your life according oh, to Fred Rogers. That's cute. It's like a little like. Well, the bottom line is treat everyone well, even if they don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. What's so tragic about "Won't You Be My Neighbor" is that he was he was so beloved, and yet he wasn't that influential by the end of things. Right, and that like the culture went in the exact opposite right. way. Yeah, um, and I, I mean, we could we can keep talking about "Won't You Be My Neighbor," but quickly before before we get away from RBG, I will say that I'm glad that it's making a lot of money, and I'm glad that "Won't You Be My Neighbor" is making a lot of money too. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, it's. I don't mean to shit on it. Like it's a very enjoyable. Honey, I'm shitting on it too. It's enjoyable, but mm. it's shallow. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. It is a honestly like go to the theater and see it if it's playing and you want to get to AC because it is nice to be reminded of, you know, a hero in our midst. Who right. 
you know, lived a very, has lived a very inspiring life and is a very important figure in American mm-hmm. politics. And it, or you know what I mean by the politics. It at least covers her biography in some ways that people might, like if you don't know anything about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, apart from the notorious RBG meme and that she does push-ups every day, like in planks, you will learn something. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know as much about her childhood, for instance, but it's not, if you're looking for an exhaustive, um, uh, if, you're, if you're looking for something that is as detailed as, um, as like the way that she would have presented a case to the Supreme Court, for instance, you're not going to find it. I'm excited for the Natalie Portman movie. The is she still doing it? No. The oh, no, it's Felicity Jones. Am- oh, then I'm not excited. I, 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 I'm not excited. I'm not not excited. It's because Natalie Portman brings a certain level of artistic credibility because she chooses interesting projects. Wait, what's the Natalie so Portman So she movie? was going to do an RBG biopic. She was gonna play her. You know, oh. you know what Natalie Portman would say if you uh, if you went up to her on the street and said, "You said you were gonna play Ruth Bader Ginsburg in RBG." She'd go, "I never said that." <laughs> That's right. Because I never said that. This is starting to feel like the solo episode, but not on purpose. Oh yeah, no, I, 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 I would actually like to. Things. I would actually like to talk about Leave No Trace. Well, um, yeah, I. I mean, did I? I have a fine starting point if we need one. Let's yes. Do it. Well, Let's the theme slow. of the theme of our episode today is father-daughter stories, so I think we can start by talking about the film's. Um, I don't want to say approach, but the way that the film captures this parenting dynamic. Yeah. Does anybody want? I mean, I have thoughts, but does anybody? Yeah, I. No, like... I said before we started, I have one thing to say, pretty much. Well, then why don't we start with your one thing to say, <laughs> so then we can have that out of the way, and then Brandon and I can have a conversation. Yeah, and then I'll go and like watch and, my and, and, my program and work on your script, and then I'll return yeah. when we start talking about the homework. <laughs> I think that's so mean. I think that's so. What dismissive. did you give this movie, just so I can get that out of the Three way? Three and a half. I liked it. I just don't have anything. Three and a half. Right. I saw it. Okay, I am just. You saw the film. I'm really just like I saw the movie. I enjoyed it. I have nothing to say. Sometimes that happens. Right. So what's the one thing you want to say? Um, I just wish there there were like more clearly defined arcs. Oh, so you don't have anything positive to say? No, <laughs> I I like what I saw. Yeah. So I don't agree with that at all. But so why? Where where did you see the arcs lacking? I think that uh, neither of them changes very much, and I I'm sure it is the intent. But I I couldn't I think, disagree with that more. Well, but. I think I I see that they might not like change but they they reach a breaking point where the status quo of their relationship no longer can sustain yeah and they so they split but the reason why that is is because at the end of the first act when they are taken in by um by the park rangers and by then by the government we learn that our main character tom actually enjoys being around people in a way that she was always told by her father would not be um, would not be a positive experience. Right, which is she, a formative she, she moment ha, she, ha, she begins to develop a curiosity about the way other people live their lives rather yeah. than saying this is our one way to do things and this is the right way to live life. And you see that not just in, like, later where I find it most moving is her relationship with the Dale Dickey character named oh. Dale. But when, when she makes friends with the kid at the 4-H club with uh-huh. all the bunnies and the animal husbandry. The bunnies. The bunnies. Which is the just bunnies. too good. Which is just too good. Um, and, but, and then I think, that, I think that Ben Foster's arc is that he is realizing that he has been putting his child in danger. Mm-hmm. And while also seeing more about his conflict as a veteran struggling with PTSD. I don't think we spend enough time with him. Well, it's, I mean, I, he's, I, 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 I see what, I, I, I don't really think that we need to spend more time with him, but he I definitely do. gets less time than yeah. 
Tom. I mean, I, th- I think I think because it, the story is more about her learning to open up to the world. Yeah, I and agree with see, that. See, I don't see her as ever being closed off to the world. That's the problem in the beginning. She doesn't, that's just a fact of her character that no. has always been there and she just hasn't been exposed to the external circumstances. Exactly. But that's not an internal but she, no, change. No, but she, I completely disagree. She doesn't know that. She's never been, in, she's never been in the outside world so she has no way of knowing that that is a capacity within her. She is learning about herself. So don't say she doesn't change. I mean, I just, I, sorry. I, I'm so moved by this film and I think it's stunningly beautiful when it comes to her emotional arc. And to say that there's no growth or that she doesn't actually change, I just think is, 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 flying counter and to the face of what everything the film is doing with this character. When she first sits down with that government worker Mm -hmm. and just like, not only does she not want to answer any of her questions because the woman is insinuating that her father um, has somehow misled her and Mm -hmm. she worships her father. He is her role model and her best friend. It's not just that she sees a hesitance to that worldview being challenged, but she also has never spoken with another person before. And Thomas and McKenzie or Thomas and Harcourt McKenzie's performance, which we can talk about in a minute if we want to, like just her body language and the way that just that she is so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's just so imperceptive, like doesn't even know how to pick up social cues and like doesn't under, like is not able to hear anything except for we're going to try and take you away from your dad Mm -hmm. because you know that her father has told her at some point that they are living out here because if someone finds them, and that's why they do these drills, if someone finds them, they are going to split them apart. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, so what, I really love. I got. I Brandon, you have to talk. Sorry. Okay. The quick sidebar. May I? Mm-hmm. So I was looking up uh, the actress who plays uh, the social worker. Yeah. Her name's Dana Milligan. I loved her in this. Me too. Uh, I think she's so compassionate and wonderful. I do too. And I clicked her IMDb bio. Okay, her character in Leave No Trace is named Jean. Perfect. If you go... That, that haircut is a gene. It's such a gene. The other? <gasps> what else is she in? <laughs> Guys, we've just come across the conclusion. No! Of no! Horses I- no! Oh my Does god, she... by the way, this is another episode of Horses I Know. Does she hit the No! Horse? Oh my god. Eureka! <laughs> Announcement. <laughs> okay, I'm looking it up too. I'm, well, I have lean to on Pete, woman driver, ah. <laughs> woman who hits Pete. Oh my! God. Holy fucking shit! It comes full circle. Wow! And the fact that this is probably the last episode of Horses IMO for the year, <laughs> which, by the way, we, there's a lot of good horses in this movie, but mostly the horses on Thomas and shirt. For it to end in this spontaneous discovery, I was laughing because I misread it's it. It's the power I of thought, live radio, honey. I thought her name was also Jean, and I thought she had the same character. Oh. Just like Thomas and his name Tom, and Dale Dickey is named Dale. Yeah, and, yeah, I thought it was going to be, but then I misread, and she's actually the woman who didn't exit her car. Yeah. Well, anyway, this has been Movies special. IMO. We've That's done it. it. We've, solved it. <laughs> We've solved we're it. Unplug- we're unplugging the mics, and we're selling them on Craigslist. Um, okay, so Ben, your issue was not enough character development, or art. Not strong enough arcs. Okay, well, me and Daniel will just disagree with that. And yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I just think that the whole tension of the movie is about this girl opening, learning to open up to the world, but more than that, learning that she has this quiet passion within her that she didn't know she had, oh, which I find so passion. moving because I, she has been accidentally gaslit by her father. So maybe ac- you, there's no such thing as accidentally being gaslit, but she, is, she has been manipulated by her father and out of love. And he doesn't realize the damage he's been 
until the end inflicting of the film. on her when and when well, they're my... in the trailer together and she's like uh-huh. I wish I wish I had written this down or just like repeated it ten times in my head before the mo- when it happened in the movie. But she's like, I don't have the same problem as you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's just that like whole... that. That is the other part of her. I got applause arc. at the landmark. Really? really? Oh, I love oh, that. Well, that's interesting because I love that moment, but I hope they that's they didn't see Ben Foster's character as a villain. Oh, they fully did. Which we can oh, talk about. That's yeah. That's not quite. I think because no I one's no one's reason. there's no villains in this movie. Right. It's just which is so, what's so lovely about it. And re- actually re-watching Winter's Bone, because when I s- first saw this movie, I was I like... I love your take on this, if this is about your log. Oh, the log. Yeah, so actually I want to sort of amend m- that uh, statement, because when I saw Leave No Trace, I was like, okay, if uh, Winter's Bone shows you like the dark underbelly of humanity, like the Ozarks and mm-hmm. like how hard, hard-hitting that life was... Uh, this shows you like the compassion of like these like people mm. living in the backwoods, right? And Dan and Dickey's little, character is sort of the so sweet, the complete the skeleton polar to it. Yeah. opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, but then rewatching Winter's Bone, I mean, there are villains in it. I think the one Dale Dickey, for instance. Well, actually, when Jennifer Lawrence opens the Dale screen door Dickey. and Dale Dickey throws a cup of water in her face. <laughs> A cup of hot coffee and then smashes the mug over oh, her head. Yes. Which is. Oh my god! It's like that line in but, Paper Moon when. Um, but at the very ahead, end, the fact that Dale Dickey ends up taking her to chainsaw her dad's arms off and is this- actually a moment of compassion. It, you're it's right about fucked that. up and twisted, but there's more compassion in Winter's Bone than I remember. Yeah. When and I in, saw it, there's eight a lot years of and, and in this movie, there's a uh, there's a bunny named there's a bunny named Chainsaw and Leave No Trace. By the way, <laughs> wait, really? Crossover between the oh two my god, films. the bunny's name is Chainsaw. The bunny's oh, name is Chainsaw. Right. But that's a really good point. And I and and ultimately, Dale Dickey's character, what's her name? Like Mervab or something? In what? In Winter's Bone. I don't remember. It's don't like remember. It, it, it's some weird like Ozark. It's like it's like burlap or when something. When Dale Dickey showed up, I just got chills of excitement. Independent Spirit Award winner Dale oh. Dickey for, for Winter's Bone. Bone. Oh, she won for Bone. Oof. I no, I don't want to go there yet because I always go there. I'll wait till the end. <laughs> what? Where? Just go there. Awards prospects. Oh. What? One more time. There Awards prospects. Oh yes. Uh, yeah, you I don't think there are none. I mean, there might be independent spirit. <laughs> yeah, I don't really think this it's not going to hold over. No, I don't because Winter's Bone was such a a flash in the, I mean, not a flash I, in the pan. That's the wrong phrase. I hope but was so. such a I mean, I mean a flashpoint. Maybe flash maybe Ben, this is something else you can talk about because it seems like you have feelings this about not getting quiet. not getting enough Ben Foster. I think this is the best performance Ben Foster has turned in, in a very long time, and that he I really love when Ben Foster goes over the top and gets shouty and hammy and chews scenery. Like I know that some people really can't stand it, but I really enjoy his performances in Three Ten to Yuma and in Hell or High Water. I'm just like permanently in his camp because when he was um, was on Freaks and Geeks, mm. but I think that this is the most subtle performance he's ever turned in as yeah. an actor that I've seen as an adult. Anyway, this is the I've most enjoyable because I usually. Don't really care for him, but never in this, seen him throw I lines away enjoyed. before. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's a really bruised performance, mm-hmm. and and the scene where he's uh, answering the questions, like the the four hundred and thirty questionnaire. Oh yeah, and when he like realizes that he can't do it anymore, and just like it's so it's so affecting. And then when when the social worker comes in and asks him if he's proud of his daughter, and then like that's what gets him to keep going. Yeah. Like he really ex- shows his love for and his pride for his daughter. Was anyone's Jimmy's rustled when he took off his shirt that I, one time. I, I knew we'd talk about it. it no. 
Really? He's not really my type. But it was just like, I was like, oh. It's like when you mentioned this today, Ben, but when Kyle McLaughlin. Oh, when Kyle McLaughlin <laughs> goes to the doctor in Twin Peaks to return. Oh, Dougie. Yeah. It was just shocking. Dougie. Dougie, Dougie, Naomi, Dougie. Naomi sees it. Naomi She's Watts like, oh. just looks at him with sex eyes for the rest of the series. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm so, well, we'll talk about Twin Peaks Return when we get to our Twin Peaks Return episode. Spoiler. I feel like we spoiled that already. Probably. I don't think so. Maybe it was in another dimension. Maybe, maybe I did it in the, in the next Black episode, Lodge, but yeah. that that was happening in an, in an ultimate, alternate metaphysical dimension and yeah, I correct. was in the Black Lodge or something. Yeah. Maybe. Correct. We're doing Twin Peaks Return. <laughs> You have to do the eye twitch. Oh, wait. Oh, have I not got that far? No, you have. When he fights the dwarf man that tries to kill him, squeeze his hand off. The, the, I don't forget what it's called. The, Oh, the, the tree. Yes, the, we, already, we already talked about Winter's Bone. The yuck, tree. Yuck, 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 he comes up, up from the squeeze his hand off. <laughs> I can't wait to find out if the tree comes back at the end of the mm. season. Same. Haven't finished it yet. Mm. Um, mm. Mm. Leave No Trace. A film. <laughs> what am I saying? Um, I really liked. I really love this movie. I uh, I like that. that the second. Tell us about it. The second act, when they're in the trailer park with the community, there's a line around the or same... Or they're not in a trailer park. But not a trailer they're park. They're on a ranch or um, on a farm. No. Oh, so am I thinking of the third act? The third act. The yeah. third act. Not the third I, act. I, love, I love that, too. I love both. I love both of the environments that... Both they... both beehives, if you will. Yes. Hmm. Oh, oh, thank Which you. Is, that's what the bees are. The, the bee it's, scene... It's, it's a stronger together moment. I teared up at the first bee scene, because it's just so pure and yeah. wonderful. She, um, sees, she just wants to see the bees. Yeah. Um, but there's a moment the around the same time when she delivers the... Um, it's a little before I don't have the same problem as you, Dad, line. Mm-hmm. Um, she says... When she's like... She hands off the rent to Dale Dickey. When, she, and Dale's she's like, I'll so, take a five. And she's so proud and tells the dad, like, oh, I paid so we can, like, mm-hmm. stay. And he's like, that that was a good idea. But like, even... We, we don't want to be taking this for granted. But, right. then, but then she's like, no, no, I think we should stay here for a while. But I think the line I'm thinking of comes before she tries to pay the rent. And she just and says, like, mushrooms. very optimistically, like, I like it here. That, it's so a very that was my, simple no, that was my le- That was my letterbox log, and it made me cry this time around. Because I saw it at Sundance, so I saw it six months ago. So do you know the actual line? Yeah, it's Dale... I really like living here. That made me cry. Yeah. Which is also, she's always, she's not a character who really announces what she wants apart mm-hmm. from food, water, shelter. Like when she is just saying, when she is saying like a oh, life. it went up half a star. Yeah, I gave it four and a half. I, I think it's, I, the only problem I have with this movie are the oh, drone shots. Oh, here it is. Oh, I'm so glad this is. I hate the drone shots in this movie. But, oh. but apart from that, I think, I, I really think it's a near them. masterpiece. I like the drone shots. Dale, I, I really like them. living. I just generally them. don't. It, it's yeah. like my own, it's like you with um, uh, uh, being out of focus Dissolves. in the front of the frame. I'm, there's a whole list of things that that applies <laughs> Generally, dr- drone shots just don't work for me because I, I, Deborah, Deborah Granick changes uh, the style of her camera work at another point in this film, and it goes more to like a documentary style, mm-hmm. which I actually really like about her. I mean that she's also a documentarian. It's and it's uh, she does something that reminds me of like Chloe Zhao and the writer, where when she goes to the tree farm, she teaches you through the editing and through the precise. Oh, angles I like and what the tree shows. farm sequence. It's so great. 
because I'm but all of a sudden I like just like process a in movies. Yes, and, 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 and it, do you see why I like bring up the it writer? It is very documentary. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And I, I there's one shot. It's very with, John Dealman. Only they're men doing tree cutting. Hell yeah, nice cutting trees and cutting necks. That's right. Oh, I I really oh, nice. that that really struck me when I saw it at Sundance. Just where she's putting her camera for all of it, and it did this time around too. And there's just one. It's like it's not the best shot in the movie. It's just an example of perfect symmetry, which you have to be careful about praising too much. But when the camera is just like at the end of the machine that they stick the trees through with the conveyor belt that like cinches them up, mm-hmm. it just it, it's just. I just think it's a stunning shot. Like the, yeah. the, the framework or the machinery just did a perfect center of the frame. And then all this other, like men just working on the, on the other sides of the frame. I think it's really pretty. I love yeah. movies of just watching people work. That is Me really too. one of the greatest pleasures is just yeah. watching people work. That's why movies. I like, and I am not segueing, but that's what I like about Paper Moon so much. And I know that's not quite what you mean, but just that for the whole movie, they are smooth operating. Yeah. And pulling, the whole movie is a pulling cons. Mm-hmm. I fucking love that movie. Oh, we'll, we'll talk about it. I'm not there yet, but we'll talk about it. I love it too. It makes me so happy. It gets me lit. Um, but uh, back to what are we talking about? Leave no trace. Leave no trace. Um, I think oh. that this movie does everything. Actually, speaking of Lean on Pete, I think when it Ew. comes to capturing the current state of rural white America, I think this movie does a far better job. Correct. And not just capturing like the opioid epidemic of it all and the actually reminded me a lot of Twin Peaks The Return and like the trailer park and everything just the economic decay um, the the people choosing their own families um, but also um, uh, just just the idea that there are people living on the margins of society who have lost hope and uh, actually just not to forget what I said but to be more specific I also think that this movie when it's, it speaks about the veterans experience in a way that I haven't seen yeah. addressed in an Ameri- a fictional American film uh, I mean I'm sure that there are and I'm just not thinking of them I, do, I haven't seen them Barry I mean that's not a no, movie right but... I mean that's a very different take on it yeah um, but no you're. I think you're right though to bring that up did you finish it no I have two more okay so but you then you've already seen the thing that I'm thinking of which we'll talk about. We'll talk about off mic. But I find that scene at the VA when the first time they go into town really moving when, when Tom is talking to the veteran and he's like, uh, here's this coin, like it has a number on it cut. And if it gets really bad to use this, but then when he's like, and then we have this tool here, which you stick into the, 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 the the muzzle of a gun and then this locks it. And so that if, if veterans are having a moment where something's about to become really bad, it just gives them a couple extra seconds to, Discharge before they might unload the gun. Like it's just these are details that I really don't see captured or just told, mm-hmm. and and like in Lean on Pete, it just still gets stuck in my craw about how there was no dilemma about how the ambulance is going to get paid for, and this movie right. has a very granular um, approach to social issues in a way yeah. that isn't you know overpowering the narrative, but it's woven into it. Was and, this the movie that I watched recently where they're like, we have to take him to the hospital; they'll treat him even if he doesn't have money. Mm-hmm. Yes, the fact. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just think that it. I think that it has captured. Um, I think that it captures the poor rural white American experience right now in a way that Lean on Pete tried to and failed. And the reason why is yeah. because they they cast Dana Milliken in the wrong role. They should have had her as an empathetic, compassionate, mm. correct, social worker. not just a woman in a car who doesn't speak and never gets out. I think she's so good in this movie. She's so good. When the minute she was on screen, I was like, "Who's this?" I love you. No, when I when they <laughs> come, when we catch her in a wide, I'm like, "Is that Jennifer Ely?" Like, if Jennifer mm. Ely had a plum supporting, it's not, I, I, not even like plum. I just think this actress does a lot with it. But 
I would have lost my shit. And she's just so compassionate. Like, usually the people in those types of roles, like, when they get pulled off where they're living in the woods and taken to um, these social workers, you assume these people are going to be like, oh, assholes. And, like, right. they're all full of compassion, which I thought was so refreshing because yeah. usually they're the villains. Yes, it's not the beasts of the Southern Wild approach, which right. I know that you guys really love that movie. And we will talk about that dynamic when we get to Beasts of the Southern Wild. But, yeah, you but think I, it's going to be that type of Having watched it, like, yesterday dynamic. or the day before, having watched it very recently, all of the scenes where our characters living on the edges of society mm-hmm. intentionally or by their own choice are clashing up against the government, whether it's FEMA or whether it's, um, you know, um, social workers, Mm -hmm. I find the dynamics in both of them to be compelling for their own reasons. But I think that this movie, what you were saying, Brandon, like that it doesn't really have a villain. Like there's certainly a lot of conflict in this movie between Tom and Will and my, (laughs) my computer is going to die. So I'm about to be out of character names. And then also between like the family and the social workers and then them with like Dale Dickey, like Mm -hmm. there's a lot, that's where, where you would find an antagonist you find in those dimensions of the character dynamics, but it never makes, it never makes anyone a black and white cut and dry villain. Yeah. And including Will. So, um, can we talk about Will the father? Yeah. Which I only know because I just looked at my computer. Yeah. I would not think I the forgot. Thing... I forgot the daughter's name was Tom. Probably my favorite part of the movie is when they have to sleep outside in the ice because it's like, this is real peril yeah. that, he put them both exactly into because yeah. he had to go right, and he it's upsetting puts his daughter's life in jeopardy, and he does what he has to do to rectify that. But it's his fault, and that that's acknowledges that's it. the biggest that's the most danger he puts her in. Mm-hmm. But there's also it, I don't know if you'd call it foreshadowing, but maybe you could when the when they escape and. Uh, they're on the road again, and then they get into the back of like a train, mm-hmm. and and she like cuts her finger on something. And my first thought was like, "There's no way she's had her tetanus shot." Right. She's like 13 years old. There's no way she's had her tetanus shot. So mm-hmm. it's like things that you get, benefits that you get from living in society mm-hmm. that that she just has. Like think about all the shots she's gonna get yeah. <laughs> now that the movie's over. <laughs> yeah. But this is what I this when I first saw it, that was my main takeaway from it was how fascinating the relationship it is between well, father that and daughter. Well, that might be anti-vaxxer, so she might not get any <laughs> shots. <laughs> if she was still then at we, the we ranch, we love a movie about Trump voters. We don't do. We? Um, if she, if she was still at the ranch, I'm, actually, she, I, she definitely wouldn't have gotten. Well, if she was still with the social workers, she would have gotten vaxxed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Maybe, yes. maybe she did get vaxxed, and we just didn't see it. But yes. that anyway, that was my main. That's what I loved the most about it that I was thinking for a long time after I first saw it was this father-daughter relationship. And that there's no questioning the fact that he loves her, mm-hmm. but he has been putting her life in danger consistently, I mean, for her entire life. And we talk so much about, not saying the three of us, but like as a society, like what makes a good parent? And one of the number one things is like love for your child. And it reminds me so much of the Bria Vanite character in the Florida Project mm-hmm. with Mooney and that there's no question that she loves Mooney, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. she is putting her child's life in danger. Does that make her a bad parent? Yes, probably. But is it it actually, it's a more complicated dynamic than that. Right. And it goes, the same goes for this film too. Um, not that it, it doesn't matter, but do we know how long they've been living like this? Like when did her mom die and when did... No, that's a good question. I think the fact that she doesn't, that, that she really has no social skills. Uh-huh. I mean, it, it, I'm sure, for, I mean... There's the other thing about like when the when um when like definitely before makes, she would have started school. Yes, no, because I was gonna say because Dana Milliken think, is like you've never been to school. Yeah, yeah, and I yet think you're a little bit smarter. It seems to have been a while because the way the movie opens and they have such a routine and like how like 
how much like clockwork it is it's it's not like i think the movie needs the exposition i am just curious right and i would like to know I think the movie, quote Years. unquote, addresses it in that scene yeah. with, with Dana Milliken, you know, my new favorite actress. So now we can uh. just address her by name. Uh. I love her. Yeah. The, oh, God. Another oh. scene that just tears me up is, um, and, and, you know, it's, it's germane to what we're saying about him as a parent when she's like, what's going to happen if the kids at school, like, think I'm weird? Yeah. And he's like, you really shouldn't care about them, which she shouldn't, but she's also never. She's a 13 year old. She's girl. a 13 year old girl. It's unavoidable. And she's also, she just wants to make friends, you know, mm-hmm. can we talk about eighth grade? That's next week. <gasps> can we talk about Thomason McKenzie as an sure. actress? Yeah. Um, there's not much to say except she's just so fucking good. Yeah, I, I will say that if anyone else calls her the next Jennifer Lawrence, I'm gonna blow a fucking fuse. No, these performances are completely different. I think it's she reductive not... to the point of insulting, frankly. Has has the, has that been... I actually haven't read many reviews yes. of this movie. It's been tossed well, around. Well, I haven't read any reviews. It's just because, it's just because it. Deborah Granick has an eye for young female talent doesn't make no, like her absolutely. comparable and, and to e- not even just like teenagers J-Law. either because i haven't seen it but you know this is my favorite portion of the podcast best segment in the game when i'm talking to a movie i haven't seen but down to the bone sort of introduces the world to vera farmiga in 2002 2004 i don't know what that is, is that, that, was, that was her movie yeah i think so very interesting i'm pretty positive vera farmiga who after the departed martin scorsese said is the best actress of her generation uh, and then they never work together again because he doesn't really have movies for women. For women, yes, it was. I, oh. was, I, was, I was correct, but she would have gotten cast in The Departed because of Deborah Grant. Right, right. That and makes down sense. to the bone. Yeah, but no, I mean, I just think that I think that Thomason uh, McKenzie. It's like Harcourt McKenzie McKenzie Harcourt Thomason McKenzie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that she is able to sketch an internal life yeah. in a way that I find very compelling. Yeah. Um, she has good eyes. Great eyes. I don't say yeah. if you're going to compare to Jennifer Lawrence, you can compare the eyes. Yeah. But Jennifer Lawrence like punches and Thomason like bruises. Yeah, absolutely. Watching when Jennifer was- Lawrence is a screamer. You never see. Yeah. This girl scream. So what's interesting watching Winter's Bone. I haven't seen it since I saw it at the Edinburgh Film Festival oh, in 2010. Nice. That's How when cool I saw that? it. That's the only time I saw it. Didn't rewatch it until last week. So eight years later. Really good fucking movie. Really good fucking movie. Um, it's interesting watching it now knowing it's Jennifer Lawrence. Who Jennifer Lawrence is. It's a, compl- it's a different experience than watching it. Who is this newcomer? Wow, look what she's doing. So to- by the time I saw Winter's Bone, it was because she got the Oscar nomination. Oh, I'm trying to remember if I had seen it in theaters, but I knew I saw it twice, and I think the second time was after the nominations. I think I saw it in theaters. See? It is wild. I was watching, and I was like, as she is filming this, probably in 2009, mm-hmm. she is going to be an Oscar winner in three years. Three years! Mm-hmm. That's it! That's insane. It is totally insane. So insane. I agree. She had no idea what was coming. And good for her. I'm no, no, she... yeah, and I, I don't disparage her. I think glad she has one. Maybe not for that one. That's okay. Me too. I, I which one? Silver Linings. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't really like that much. And I is and Winter I go, Bones I go her to best bat performance? for Wrestle. I I don't know if it's her best. I but I would probably have given it to her for this. That would have been Natalie Portman. Would not I would have, have voted gotten. for Michelle Williams for Blue Balance. Oh, uh, so would I. Oh God, no question. Uh, yeah. No fucking question. Um, but and I'm, I think and Joy we're gonna is her re- best performance. 
I was gonna say Joy is where is probably Joy. Her, she just walks all over everyone else, in and, and she walks yes. all over the movie. Mm-hmm. Yes, Joy, correct, is her best. It's not. It's, it's a fine movie. I don't but hate it as much as people no do. But Critics had their knives sharpened because David O. Russell had three major hits in a row, mm-hmm. and every, everyone at least dislikes one of them. So yeah. therefore, they're like, he doesn't deserve three best director yeah. nominations. Did he get one for the fighter? But three best picture nominations anyway. Um, and I, we've talked about American Hustle on this podcast before. My computer is dead. Bye. Um, Bye. My favorite David Russell movie is Flirting with Disaster. But uh, I, I Silver Linings Playbook one. has a special place in my heart. Same. That's my least favorite because oh. I worked on it a little bit, yeah. and it's like it I didn't, was. I didn't know that. I worked for the producer for four years. Oh right. Um, and I came on. I didn't know he produced it. I came on to working with him at the during the Oscar campaign. So I didn't mm. work on the movie, but I yeah. worked with the movie. I had to go, I had to like drive around the city of Los Angeles and find little Excelsior flags, which is a thing in the movie, and give them to all of the cast members the Friday before the Oscars. You should have given them content. It was insane. I know, I should have. And I... So it, I and I had, a, I already liked the movie before. I mm-hmm. knew I was getting this job, mm-hmm. but I like it. Just hold, it's like I like meaningful to me as my yeah. career. Oh, that's lovely. I, I always I, said uh, as like my excuse for not really. I mean, I like it fine, but I would be like, but I do think Bradley Cooper deserves to win Best Actor over Daniel Day Lewis for Lincoln. Like Lincoln, which was Bradley Lincoln, Cooper my, is amazing. Lincoln was movie. like my second favorite movie that year. We all know Lincoln is my favorite movie of all time. If you're a long-term mm-hmm. listener of the podcast, but I, that was sort of my concession was like Bradley Cooper 100 should be winning Best Actor. For I think it's so delightful. Book. Yeah, it, Bradley, no, it is. And, I, and I've, did, I've learned to like that. I think it captures the screwball element so well by the end. Yeah, in 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 you know classic David O. Russell fashion, he's genre mashing mm-hmm. a screwball comedy with a. Um, more, I don't want to say realist, but yeah. a, but a family drama shaky right. cam thing, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Bidranen, you were going to say what you I was going to say it. Bradley Cooper is incredible in it. Yeah. It's the best thing he's ever done and ever will do, including a Star is Born. Well, Star is Born is not about that. Because <laughs> I do, I like Bradley Cooper a lot. I know. I like him in American know, Hustle. I, I like him too. Is that, is that not Oh, okay? he, American Hustle, he's very good. He's very good in American Hustle. But I, I just like, think I just he, like when he's funny. He I do just, too. And he's funny in this. He's, he's so funny and heartbreaking in this, which I like. Um, and he's the hottest in this, so whatever. For sure. Um, I was him for Halloween. Oh, that's great. Shut the fuck up. I was going to be him I for Halloween. I wore the sweatsuit with the garbage bag what? for Halloween that year. I was going to do that. What year did you do it? That would have been 2013, I guess. I was fucking going to do that 2013. What if so I guess we'll circle back other. to this because that's your Inez year, right? Yeah. So we'll talk about that with Tony. Great. Yeah. <gasps> Just putting, putting, I'm it's, not putting a pin in this. No, I'm planting I mean, it was, a flag in this point was that we'll come back to it. 2013 to 2015. Right. It was the whole... That's when it, the the descent began. In right. 20, I mean, but, Bradley you know, Cooper's character we'll in SLP like says things that are like relatable when they probably shouldn't be. Mm. You know, when he's like explains like what he goes through every day, and I think his psychiatrist is just like, so you've just been like bearing down with no meds this whole time, and he's like, yeah, just like white knuckling it mm-hmm. basically. Which I and the dining the diner scene I love so much when. Oh, Jennifer Lawrence so good. cackles and <laughs> clears the table. It's my favorite scene of all I'm time. I'm a crazy slut. Could, could be the Oscar scene. I don't know. I, I don't know. That's not the Oscars. I don't know. I think what it was. was. Was that the Oscar I, Either that or the dance rehearsal scene when she's like, we gotta, you gotta get your shit together. Or it's or, when she runs after him before they start dancing together and she's like, you guy. and That's the scene I'm thinking of. I think that might That's have the been scene the I'm Oscar thinking Club. of. Oh. 
I, I know I got the setting yeah. wrong, but that's the emotional exchange. What are we talking about with Tony? Oh, because your breakdown was right at Tony. Huh? Yeah. One thing I had a naked party. About Jennifer Lawrence. You were at a naked party <laughs> no. when it happened? Oh, um, we. I want to get back to, because we can. We should talk about the homework, but I, I do have more things I want to say about Deborah Granick. But one final thing that I, you guys can keep talking about. We just went on a seven-minute tear about Jennifer uh, Lawrence. That's, right. No, and, like I, and, and, power and I'm going to bring it back to Deborah Granick by saying that my favorite line Jennifer Lawrence has ever delivered in any movie is in Winter's Bone when she says, you must think I'm a stupid idiot. <laughs> Which just so good. rustles my jimmies. She's Same. so good. She's... Re-dolly, honey. Mm. Re-dolly. I'm going to get another beer. Re-dolly is parting with her daddy's arms. We should also talk about John Hawks in that film. Oh, my Oscar God. Oscar nomination. That, that's one of my favorites. Shouldn't have happened Oscar mm. nominations. Or how did that happen, Oscar yeah. nominations? I do wonder. I, I, I'm not sure how. Where was the Sessions? <laughs> did he get the nomination? No. He just did, Helen Hunt. Yeah, he, he did not. It was 2011. Helen. 2012. Was that was Silver Linings Playbook Helen year. Was that? Yeah. And her boobs got the nomination. Mm. I'm so happy for Helen her. Helen, and she's like, mm-hmm. I'm so happy for her. She's like, how can I help you? Let me help you. God. But there are lines. Helen Hunt jerk you off. Has a very limited range, but within that range, she has never given a false note. In, that Helen. In speaking, in speaking <laughs> she's of, a goddess. In speaking, um, speaking of I'm sex work, that. Jean Dielman, but more specifically speaking of sex work, we will talk about Madeline Kahn and Paper Moon as we get <gasps> Son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. Ooh. Do we need to take a break time. for anyone to go winky tinky before we, <laughs> no. before we keep going? I'm going to grab a, an ice. Can you grab me oh a beer, please? Oh, my God. Madeline Kahn's Oscar. That, I'm assuming that was her Oscar clip up on the hill when she's like, just I don't think, I don't, Yeah, I don't think they did clips then. But, oh, oh, do you just mean like the scene that gave her maybe? The, the scene that gave her that award when, nomination. When, it's my, it, up you know, on the hill. When she says, when she says to just, little, just when she says to little Addy, have this. She, she's like, look, it is not going to be longer than a couple weeks. I don't know what it is about me, but men don't want to stay. So just don't, don't get in the way because it's, I'm going to be out of your hair pretty let, soon. Let big tits Trixie sit let, in the let, front seat. Let, let Trixie sit out front with her big tits. Mm. What was my, what was my joke? Trixie Mattel convincing the, the queens, queens that she deserves the All Stars mm, Three crown. Funny. I will say, um, I love uh, Imogene, the woman who works for her, mm-hmm. who got fourth place at the National Society of Film nice. Critics. When when uh, the, that when that first scene in the car, when Trixie is is flirting with Mose, and she just keeps like interjecting, like, "Hey, Miss Trixie, remember that time that guy almost broke a bottle over your head?" But when she says, "Tell me about the time you almost got thrown in jail, Miss Trixie," <laughs> I love it so much. God, Deborah Granick knows exactly where to place her camera at all times, and I'm oh, using wow. for evidence the camp scenes in the beginning. It's not just that thing that we talked about last week with Claire Denis, and that we've talked about with Steven Spielberg about knowing where to put that camera underneath the character as an introduction to say this person is in charge mm-hmm. and our protagonist is looking up to them and they're also sort of intimidating and might be up to no good but just the way that that camera never really goes ab- apart from those drone shots in the beginning which just sort of situates you in the environment yeah. never really goes above an eye line and when when they are crouching down uh, uh julianning those sticks so they can make a fire like i just love that the camera is all the way down right by the fire pit as ben foster is leaning into it and then when they're playing chess later it's like right at the table like right there and then we were talking about earlier with um the log or not the logman scene but the christmas tree scene i just think that she 
she never places her camera in the wrong place. And I l- think her wide shots are astounding, um, especially in the National Forest, yeah. where it's almost the hereditary shot and that we can't see Tony Collette hiding in the corner. Like, just the way that our eyes are looking through all this green to yeah. find our characters. Mm-hmm. And just, like, the establishing shots she uses to frame nature anyway. Like, I, I have spent... I Like, I hike. I go camping. Um, it is... It's not hard to get like a good picture of nature on your phone, but it is hard to get a picture of nature that stands out and doesn't look like everybody else's same Instagram tag to Joshua Tree National Park. Yeah. And the way that she finds the natural rhythms and chaos of the limbs and the bushes and the colors like to create these beautiful, um, they're static and that the frame isn't moving, but very much alive shots of nature, both well, I will say earlier, it does sort of have this warm quality to it that, uh, makes you understand why it feels like home to these characters. But then later when they're up in Washington, she finds a way of making it look very intimidating and dangerous and like it's out to kill you. Because the thing about mm-hmm. nature is that it's gorgeous, it's natural splendor, but it's also going to kill you. Mm-hmm. So I just think that she does a great job just just through the way that she um, lights and f- like the compositions of her, of her natural landscapes are um, stunning and do exactly what they set out to do. Yeah. And it's obviously something she has a knack for with Winter's Bone as well. Um, and the the woman loves putting fucking dogs and animals in her shots. It's something she does. Like especially in Winter's Bone, there's some there's some ferret in a cage in every single scene. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> those arms. Mm. And she, I just I just and think that she she has a really stunning a really stunning ability to capture atmosphere and environment. And to Brandon's point, this is like my favorite thing you've said in a long time. Like it just oh. it really no I don't what I mean what oh. that's you know what I mean by that. Like I I I really just I, you spew garbage, but today that's not what I was saying, and I don't appreciate the insinuation. I think it's really insightful. Okay. <laughs> Rarely does someone no, okay. I won't go. It's not okay. Compliment me. <laughs> I think it's very say? insightful that you picked up the ways in which Deborah Granick frames backwoods as either dark or light, and it's not just in yeah. the color palette. Yeah, but it is partly the color palette, and it's the composition, and it's the way that she's framing her actors. Yeah, I think it's a really smart point. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Leave no trace is very green. Winter's bone is very gray. I read everybody's logs on Letterboxd, and I love all of them, but my jaw dropped when I saw that one. I was like, fuck, he got it. Wow. Damn. Brandon got it. I'm sweating. I'm 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 it's pretty I'm, warm in here. I'm perspiring. I was at uh, I was this at, is permanently sweat IMO for the next I, five five months five months. It'll I was be until Thanksgiving. I was at Edendale Grill last night, catching up with a friend who was in town from the Czech Republic. And we used when we when she lived in L.A., we used to take a lot of uh, photos in their photo booth. And so before we left, we had to do a photo strip. And when they came out, I'm like, we both look terrible because there's obviously this film of sweat over our faces so like nice. we just look like wax figures that's how i feel all the time madame Trousseau wishes <laughs> she wow. sure do i love the weather what <sighs> my air conditioner arrives in what three to eight fuck? days uh, why is it so long where'd you order it from oh well my roommate ordered it so you'd have to ask her wow anything right. else on leave no trace before we want to segue into the home you know i'm not in charge this week leaning back Lean well, back on Well, feet. Ben's been done for... Let's talk about Paper an Moon. Hour. An hour? <laughs> Let's an hour? Paper Moon. My favorite movie. Oh, I mean, me too. Speaking of a young actress's eyes, let's talk about Tatum O'Neill's eyes in this movie. 
because she gives what I think is the best performance in the movie, and I think she's not doing the tone that Peter Bogdanovich wanted, and that is precisely why the movie is so much better. Like the movie yeah. did to me, did I don't really like. I, you know, I, I actually, I know that The Last Picture Show is a better movie, but I like Paper Moon a lot more. And I don't like What's Up, Doc. Um, and I haven't really seen any of his other films. I've only seen those three. I've seen all of his movies. I, I have not seen Texasville. Did you see the movie? <laughs> I have seen Texasville. Did you see She's Funny That Way? No. I want to see it. Friend, friend of, of the, the pod. pod. Yeah, Friend of the Pod, Matter Spammer just uh, gave it four out of five. Yeah. I like, I just think. Aside from Lost Picture just, Show, that the acting gets really broad, and I think Tatum has the most grounded performance in the movie. Madeline Kahn gets close, but she's still doing the broad thing. But for me, it, I mean, I'm not saying that you're saying it doesn't work. What I love about it is that so much about my emotional journey with the movie is it is about Addie, similar to Tom in Leave No Trace. Like she is having her eyes open to the world around her mm-hmm. for the first time, really. And what she sees are a bunch of hucksters, con artists, and goofballs. And, and while simultaneously being told, like, by the Madeline Kahn character, like, one day your bone structure is going to develop and, like, every, bone structure. And everyone's going to want to, like, take I advantage didn't have of bone you. Bone structure until so, I was 18. <laughs> yes. A little bit of bone structure. I'll get you a bra. But it's like, it's this, it's this young girl who's smarter than everybody else realizing that the world she's growing into is this absurd, mm-hmm. cruel, unfair, silly. I was just thinking about. Bogdanovich's like favorite movie ever is The Awful Truth, which is one of my favorite movies. And this has a very similar energy. It's aspiring to a similar energy, but the acting in The Awful Truth never makes me question whether or not these are real people. Absolutely, which is something I love about The Awful Truth, which I only caught up with. And I do, like Paper Moon, I am a little bit like, this is, like there are like moments where I'm like, this is a counterfeit moment, just like they are counterfeit. See, I, workers. I think that the milieu of the film is so specific to its Dust Bowl era and that the desperation is always so palpable on screen. Mm-hmm. And I also think that he is doing some sort of French New Wave thing with this movie um, and, and just some of the camera work and some mm-hmm. of the open, empty expanses. Like, I think it's a deeply sad movie and especially mm-hmm. watching it a second time, I don't see it as fizzy as I did the first time. I actually was marked by how, you know, they're ripping off all of these widows while also mm-hmm. doing them a, a much-needed kindness in this very desperate time. Um, And I don't actually see that many moments of, I think all the actors are are doing their own physical comedy, but I think a lot of the comic beats are stretched out like cons and a lot of the conflict and a lot of the, just a lot of the the situations of from, for the comedy in the film are not sideshow Bob steps on 10 rakes Mm -hmm. or someone like think I'm thinking about, um, I wouldn't say this is funny necessarily, but when, Imogene and Addie are tricking Trixie into sleeping with the the um, the bellboy or whatever the concierge. There's a lot of opening and closing doors, which mm-hmm. is like the number one. Like yeah. on Family Feud, the category is farce. The yeah. f- survey says opening and closing doors is number one, mm-hmm. and it employs that tactic, but it's yeah. not breathless. Like there, you you feel very sad for Trixie through all of it, while also wanting Imogene to be totally free from this woman, mm-hmm. yeah. and you want Addie to like this is. I mean. Addie's totally in the wrong in this moment. Um, Even though, like, ultimately, I mean, I think Imogene is such a fascinating character in that she is having, like, she is the person with the least amount of agency in all of this. And I, you know, she, like, she cracks wise, but her body language is so exhausted all the time. Like, she doesn't seem to be having any fun with all of the comic situations. And I think that it's a, it's a, um, 
it's a piece of punctuation to all of this that again grounds it in this sadness in terms of a racial inequality that marked this time. Mm-hmm. And I don't think this is what the film was trying to say, but with this constant um, invoking of FDR, like he's Addie's hero, like Frankie Roosevelt's, and you see his photo, or his portrait in the background of some friendly character's place, but then they yeah. also have his uh, his portrait framed in the sheriff's office, mm-hmm. um, like the, those awful backwoods sheriffs. So it's just like, there's a duality to all of this. Like it, it's all this... Um, fizzy comic fun against a very sad backdrop, the contradiction of it. So like if you want to, like FDR, obviously we've been talking a lot about Japanese internment lately and you can't only talk about the New Deal when you talk about FDR. Like there's two sides to that coin. And and I think the same is true for the tone of this film um, in regards to like the, the, the situations and the um, setting. Mm-hmm. I agree with all of that. Mwah. It's a very good movie. Okay. I, 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 what did I want to say? It it I made forget. me so. I saw it at the New Beverly for the first time. Two. Oh, years was it there? Ago. It was. It was a it. kitty matinee. Um, oh, part of the 30, Bogdanovich that I. That's where I probably saw. It probably was around the same time that Last Picture Show in Texasville were there, but obviously yeah. it was in thirty-five millimeter, and it. I was. Yeah, because they also did a Long Last Love. That's right. I think it might have been last year. All I know is I was going through a really rough time, and it really. Like, it, it just really cheered me up. Mm-hmm. I think the la- the ending of the movie is so fucking beautiful. Oh, yeah. You, you I want my $200. Oh, that the bro- I think the script is so tight and so perfect. I do too. And it's, when I, obviously I saw that it was uh, nominated for Academy Award, I was like, oh, good. Good, great. But not it Best Picture, it. because this but was, not the, this best was, picture well, this was the follow-up for Last Picture Show. Yeah. And Which was the movie. Yeah. And, and Bogdanovich. So he couldn't get nominated again. Well, no, Bogdanovich was, I mean, of the quote unquote film brats, he is certainly the brattiest of all of them. He's like living with Orson Welles and totally condescending to all his peers about how his knowledge of film is so much more sophisticated. He was the celebrity director. Because of The Last Picture Show. Mm-hmm. And because he was tied into this old Hollywood thing, he was already set up to take over that space. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy to me that Paper Moon didn't. Like, you'd think that this would be the more... And again, I, I totally take the fact that The Last Picture Show is an objectively better film, a more important film, but I mm-hmm. like Paper Moon a thousand times more. Partly because it appeals to, like, a very... Um, I hesitate to say populist in this political environment, but but more of, like, a from-the-peoples type sense of comedy. So you'd think that that would... That that would... Like, this mix of lowbrow and highbrow would actually mm-hmm. be very palatable to more people than The Last Picture Show in the Academy, but... It wasn't. Yeah. But it, of course, wins Tatum O'Neill, Best Supporting Actress. That's right. So She's let me... still the youngest winner ever. No, Anna Paquin is. So here's... Oh. Here's here's my... We, what we have... Okay. To quote uh, Mary Tyler Moore in Flirting with Disaster about the Best Supporting Actress and Best Actress categories at the 1974 Oscars. <laughs> uh, yes, we're going to talk about this. So that Best Supporting Actress has, for my money, the two best child performances of all time. We have Linda Blair for The Exorcist, and we have our winner, Tatum O'Neill, wow. for Paper Moon. So Glenda Jackson wins Best Actress for A Touch of Class mm-hmm. and Best Actress, which is in a film that I've never seen, and you probably have seen. So Not in a long time. But I'm sure she's amazing in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I think should have happened is that Tatum O'Neill, who is the lead in Paper Moon, should have been nominated in lead and won... And Linda Blair, which I think is one of the which is one of the best true supporting actress or supporting performances in any film, should have won Best Supporting Actress. So it should have been two kids, in my opinion. Having not seen oh, all the nominees. Interesting. Having not seen all the nominees, but I think that 
And, but of course, this is my favorite segment of the podcast. It's uh, hard for me to wish that Glenda Jackson had less than two Oscars. But but I think it's fair to say she probably would have picked up a second one if they had along the way. Yeah, like it. It's 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 like the thing with Meryl Streep in a way. I mean, Glenda Jackson is. It's not like Glenda Jackson went to Parliament. <laughs> I know. I know. Of course. Speaking of Margaret Thatcher. Um, but Glenda Jackson was like, fuck this. Yeah. But I think, I think that Glenn, I mean, Glenda Jackson won her second Oscar in the eighties, right? No, that was the second. She won. Oh, uh, I thought she won for, uh, she won I'm for thinking women of in Gerald, love I'm in thinking of Geraldine Page. Oops. I think she probably would have won another one. I, I, in my, in my alternate Oscar history, it all works out in the wash. Right. All right. But wouldn't that have been fun right. if Tatum, the best, in my, for my money, the best two child performances ever committed to, to the screen. While we're on Both, that topic, we'll talk, you want to talk about convention, eh? Margaret O'Brien and Meet Me in St. Louis. That's 2D, right? That's 2D. Yeah. Oh my God, 2D. 2D, I think, is the best child performance of all time. Good answer. Followed very closely by Henry Thomas. Survey e. says. Henry Thomas. Henry oh, Thomas. Survey says. Jacob Trombley's <laughs> <laughs> dad. The category oh. was hot dads. Oh. oh, nice. So, good segue into not hot dads, but a couple of beats ago. Uh, into Kavan Janae Wallace of Beasts oh. of the Southern Wild. Young performances. Yes. Young performances. I'll let you two take this because you like it more than me and I think it should be a love-in first. Um, yeah, I love this movie. Uh, I forgot that the first eight minutes is just an overture. and yes. You love a delayed <sighs> opening credit. If you give me oh, pure score, pure... Cinema. Just pure narrative... Set up the fucking movie for ten minutes, and then give me a splashy title with a great score, five stars and a heart. With one of the best five shots stars in and the film. a heart, five stars and, and a heart. Um, I forgot how good the score is. Um, how could you? It sounds I, like Beirut. How could you honestly forget? I forgot. All right, I actually forgot, and it was a pleasant surprise to hear it again. I love. I think this movie hinges not on. Well, it hinges on Kevon Janae Wallace. It doesn't, but it doesn't hinge on behind, behind the camera. I don't think it hinges on Ben Zeitlin. I think it hinges on Lucy Alibar's script, script, which is based on her play, which was, I never read it. But I did see, uh, she did a one-woman show, and this is getting regional. Ooh. But uh, Daniel's favorite thing yeah. to get but, but, too regional. By the way, by the way, on Leave No Trace, I don't want to get too regional, but it did strike me in my heart. Not to get too regional. In your heart? To my heart. Wow. Um, Lucy Alibar had a one-woman show at the Amundsen. No, the Kirk Douglas. The Kirk Douglas Theater in... Culver City. Culver City, California. Not to get too regional. Called Throw Me on the Burn Pile, and it's just oh. lovely. Did so you I see think, it? I, yeah. I saw her perform. It was she... She wasn't fully done. She was still, like, in, like... It was like a preview. She was still like mm. reading from pages. Sure. She wasn't fully like performing it. Anyway, I just think she's incredibly talented. Yeah, and I, I think, think Ben Zeitlin's follow-up that's coming out in a couple of years won't be as good because she's not involved. I think, no, I think the direction is really strong, but I do think the script is something to be marveled at. Mm-hmm. Like it just impresses me so much how just like the mechanics are so smooth of like how to get hush puppy into every moment that she shouldn't be part of mm-hmm. and to have her witness it it's just it's very clever and i love i love that it's a fairy tale i love the pig things as a metaphor for adulthood yeah i love i mean it's it, it's definitely that it is also 
ingeniously baked into the environmentalism of the mm-hmm. film, which is and my I just, favorite thing about it. Yeah. A lot of times, my favorite movie of the year coincides with my favorite score of the what year. Is your favorite movie of the year? No. Okay. But it is, it was like three or four. Um, it was six for me. I think it's just so, I don't know, it's like the Kubrick thing of movies shouldn't be like fiction. They should be like pieces of music. And I just sort of feel that way with Beast of the Beast of the Southern Wild. It just moves me in such a well. Deep... I think it feels like a series yeah. of movements more than it feels like a series of building block scenes. That's fair. I've I've seen that. Critique. I don't think that's a flaw. I'm not saying it is a flaw. Okay. I'm saying to your point. I like the movie. I just I think it has a lot of flaws, and I think that includes every supporting character in the script, apart from the father. I find it maddeningly frustrating the supporting characters in this film. And I really don't like the film's approach to saying that like, don't tread on me. I hate the libertarian streak in this film, which I think is incidental, but it Mm -hmm. is there. There's an element of don't tread on me. There's an element of the wisdom of the common man. Mm -hmm. There's an element of anti-bureaucratic and and a narrative of oppression from an overreaching bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. There's a real fuck you to FEMA in this movie that I find really detestable. And, I don't really linger on that stuff because I find... Yeah, but the government really did just leave Louisiana to die. No, no, I know, but that's not my issue with so it. So I can see why they would villainize it. But, but right, but then wouldn't they have left them to die rather than rip Tried them from, from their special home where there's bacteria growing all over the place and there's no sanitation? Which I saw in, a, I think, in... Um, whose letterbox log? Brought that, uh, Brandon Nowak, one of the pod... I think in his, he said, like, the island of no sanitation or something like that. Oh, yeah, he's not a fan. Right, and I, I, I liked it more than he did just based off of his star rating, mm-hmm. which would have been, as you were saying earlier, two stars and a fart, <laughs> not five two stars star, and a heart. Two stars and a fart. I just do think that there is something dangerous, uh, which I think Leave No Trace does a much better job of saying, that, like, living without any sort of social net, or it's like social uh, fabric or a social, you guys know what I'm saying, like a, mm-hmm. a net of social security, or uh, plumbing, or and, and by the way, I, 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 that doesn't mean to say that I, I don't accept the film's poverty for what it is. I absolutely do. There, there is a strong counterculture that goes outside of what we might consider more civilized, and I use air quotes with civilized. I'm mm-hmm. not using that third world bullshit. Speaking of civilized, or the lack thereof, you should have seen the people at the Arclight when the DCP started skipping. <laughs> Of beasts? No. Oh, right. What ha- saw, sorry to bother you. Tell us sorry story. to bother you. What happened? So, I, I, as I was sitting down, I went to the movie more or less for the air conditioning. I did want to see Sorry to Bother You, but I wanted the air conditioning. Yeah. And I have a whole other beer. I <laughs> drink up, baby. I walked in and I was like, this is not the icebox I was expecting. Well, I, saw I, you, I saw no, 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 no. But, but you know that I, I saw 2001 yeah. before that, before you were there, and I was also expecting to be chilly, and I was merely comfortable. Yeah, and I was like, this. So they, this like, they really were like conserving. Shut- but also, dude, I don't know about how many bodies were in the room for Sorry to Bother You, but there were a lot. Packs. There were a there were a lot of bodies for 2001. Yeah. So, so they were really working overtime. Yeah. So like 35, 40, 45 minutes in. The DCP starts skipping. Heavens once, and you just bear with it, mm-hmm. which has only happened to me once. It was an American Honey at the Landmark. Ooh. It skipped just once, Yikes. but it did. And then, you know, and then it happens again, and it happens a couple more times, and there's, there's whispering. That's like me watching Brandon's Blu-ray of Twin Peaks The Return on my busted Blu-ray player. <laughs> there's whispering. The whisperings begin. People are going to tell people, okay. and then shouting to the rafters. At some point, someone comes back and is just... 
we can get a refund. Yes! <laughs> just yells it. By the way, I don't think you got there, and but then, there, like, there people are some, starts leaving. There, there are some crowd scenes in Sorry to Bother You. I'm sure it looked just no, like that. No, there were no, not what I've seen. No, no, no I know. So, but that, and that's not a spoiler, but there are crowd scenes later in the film, and I'm imagining that sort of hullabaloo going on. Did an on. Arclight person come and say, we're trying to find Yeah, it. they're like, we are aware of the problem. We're going to restart it. The AC has put a strain on us. Like, it was just so hot that the power was The social up. commentary of Sorry makes... to Bother You was too incendiary. It and broke the ACP. It overheated with its righteous And the moral people fury. were just like... <laughs> this is my favorite noise that Ben makes on the podcast the when grunting? he does a hubbub, a, a grunty hubbub. So how long do you think they were sitting there waiting for the new DCP? I don't know. 10 you minutes? Left. I did. Half an hour? Wow. And it was like a four o'clock. They had more Burr. showings. Right. So like, it's going to fuck up the rest of the day. Yeah. So I just left. Yeah, get out of there. And I'll go when it's out of the Get out of there. I dismissively said I would wait until I can watch it at home, but I'm going to go to that. The Landmark Theatre. When it's out of movie pass when, theater. When I tried to escape the AC for uh-huh. RPG was also not the icebox I was expecting. You know what was an icebox? What the hell's happening? The Regency Academy 6 in Pasadena, mm. the Dollar Theater. I gotta say, I th- I have a new favorite movie theater, and it's the it's the Dollar Theater in Pasadena. Oh, I, I really had a great time seeing book club there. I should have my ass out there for you book should. club. It's also it it is the type of like it is an it's an old movie theater in that um you can tell that there was some sort of grand staircase once upon a time and and like the ceilings are very high um and now everything's sort of been like the grand budapest hotel in the 80s like everything's been sanded off it's very sanitized and angular and there's mm-hmm. nothing ornate but it still has this sort of uh chapel like um atmosphere mm-hmm. and Fun. also outside of the ticket booth they have that old thing like they have the los Feliz three with the little um you know like uh, rectangle, the but the window, but then with like all like eight of the movies with their mm. little like rectangles and, and key art yeah. mm-hmm. for all of them, which was really fun. So I, I had a great that. time. Um, oh, so I'm gonna sometime um, after Outfest, which will have started by the time this drops, I'm going to go. I'll go see a movie with my movie pass at the Limley Pasadena and see like whatever new art house film there is, and then I will walk down the street and pay my three dollars and fifty cents. Nice. Which is what a dollar theater is. Just like two buck Chuck is three dollars right. now. Yeah. Um, what are you going to see? I don't, I don't know what'll be on. <gasps> Whatever's there. Fun. I do want to say before Fun. we move to Tony Erdman mm-hmm. is that Tony. Tony. Tony, Tony, Tony. I think Dwight Henry should have been nominated for an Academy Award. Correct. And, but I also think Matthew McConaughey should have been nominated and I would have given it to Matthew, but for Magic Mike. Oh, sure. But, of the not, this is the year Jared Leto wins. So uh, I, you know, <laughs> I actually, you know, McConaughey's going to get his Oscar. Fuck that! I want Dwight Henry nominated. I want him to win the category. He is mm-hmm. spectacular in this He's film. He's so good. And a real, and I know that friend of the podcast Jordan Baker is probably listening. A real argument for non-actors in the movies. He is. Oh, this yeah. is a movie that the first time I saw it, I was in the the couch theater at the Landmark. Love the couch theater. And I was just like the whole time I was like I don't know what I think about this movie. Just like I was just, I was just watching it, like not emoting at all. And then the bus, this one, yeah. And then the bus scene, and then I just like started weeping. It was just like I had I, a mental. It makes me cry. It I makes just me had cry. a mental block. Wait, what bus scene? 
He puts her on the bus to go home. And immediately closes. The, he's like, oh, Send yes. Send we're safe. And then, like, closes and then the yes, she yes, yes, yes. gets off and she says, you're you were trying, trying to get, get rid of me. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just yeah. started weeping. And yes. he says, my, he says my blood is eating itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Which, by the way, this is, I, 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 and I think that this is another similarity with Leave No Trace is that it's, um, it's two, I mean, to, to, dif- to differing ends and that one is fatal and one is a warning. Mm-hmm. Um, but, that these father characters who define themselves by their opposition to modern society, they, that, well, but you know what? That's even, I don't like that. People who define themselves by the world they choose to live in mm-hmm. and the culture of that world and, and, and the rituals, whether it's nature or whether it's cultural. Um, but that ultimately their health is impacted by that lifestyle. Yeah. Um, without regretting the choice. Yeah. Which I think is a really, I think you're not point. wrong about the political stuff, but I just, I just, I'm so incredibly moved. That's by this fine. Movie that it, I don't it, care. I I latched on a little bit to what you're saying. I, Daniel, I didn't feel this again, way when I saw it the first two times. Yeah. And I was about to knock it down a half star because of what you're saying, but then it ended, and I was like, mm, "No, I love it." I, I just, say, but I see what you're saying. When she looks at those large pigs, it's very good. The there. um, they have, they have a name. They're like Andar Orax Orax. When yeah. she stands off and says, "You're my friend," kind kind of. of. I it, this is a you're five star movie you're my, for me. You're <laughs> my friend, kind you're of. You're my friend, kind. You're of. my friend, kind of. I have to go take care of my own, and then the, they leave. She scares the the pigs it's, away. Yeah. It's I also incredible. Don't, I don't like that second line because it it again is very uh, me versus them. Not I know, but it's, together. But I just I, see it as like her. I know. Identity. I I I'm not trying to twist it. I know that's what it is. I, I will say, um, you're my friend, kind of. I'm like movies IMO. And then also there was a moment earlier when when Hush Puppy burns down her trailer, mm-hmm. um, which I just like love that her mom's it's it's not really addressed, but like all her mom's stuff burned down apart from the jersey, yeah, which is really sad. Yeah. Oh, and I love I don't really like the mechanism that gets them there. I know depict depiction is not endorsement, but I love when they go to the club mm-hmm. and and they're dancing with they're all, all the ladies. Dancing. But and when she goes back in with the cook and she's frying up those alligator fritters, mm-hmm. I find that very moving. Zero, especially her emotional connection with the woman in the way that you know. I'd be curious to know if the woman who plays the the cook also plays the mother in the in flashbacks, the just because even their body language is very similar. Yeah. But it's also just like the way that they cut, they show the alligator. Anyway, I love that. Uh, wait, no, no, hold on. I was no, 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 no. You're, okay. you're going to make a real point, so you should, you should be talking. <laughs> I just, I. It reminds me of I forget who said it. Someone very smart said of Moonlight about the ending of Moonlight when Andre Holland cooks for Travante Rhodes that the one, the person that loves you the most is the one that's going to feed you, and that's what I thought of that while watching it this time, because that's. Sure. I, we don't know that it's her her mom. She thinks it's her mother. Sometimes that's but all we don't know. But it's just, she, it's, it's certainly not that light out in the distance. It is a kind stranger, maybe, that fed her. Yeah. I have always depended upon the kindness of strangers. That's right. The other movie's IMO moment is when Hush Puppy burns down her trailer on stilts, and she is invited into her father's abode. And he, like, draws a line down the middle of it, and mm. is like, you stay on your side. I stay on my side. He's like, or I'll kick your ass. But lucky for you, that line is there or something. And I'm I, like, like I can't cross that line and be. I'm you like, up. I'm like that line is this bag of Snyder's pretzels between <laughs> me and Ben right now. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? 
I sorry. Are you sexting? No, I was checking an email. Are you watching Petite Four pornography? Oh, what? Let's move on to, to Tony Erdman. The Naked Party. When when the guy jacks it onto the petite four. <laughs> oh right. And then she delicately unwraps the plaster or like the paper Ugh. and takes a bite. I love a two hour she and forty five minute movie that is actually breezy a tight ninety. Oh, I like this that. This movie is a tight ninety and I won't hear any different. That's the movie right. is not two hours and forty five minutes. I don't believe it's it either. Just not. It enters a, when you watch Tony Erdman, you enter a time-space continuum with the film. <laughs> I'm breezy! <laughs> and only 90 minutes have passed, I swear. It's I agree with you. Fact. No, I, when I, I just, I didn't watch it for the podcast, but I watched it a month ago in Phoenix. I've been dying to show it to a really good buddy of mine who's a big cinephile, and I've been talking it up for a year. And then, of course, once we press play, I'm like, oh, God, I've been talking this up for a year. He's mm-hmm. not going to like it. But by the time they get to the oil fields, I was like, What? We just pre- we just started this thing, yeah, and it's almost over. That's the moment that I had the same thought. I was like, "Oh, we're at the oil fields! Oh my god, it's almost over! We just got started." Which features many of my favorite moments of the film. One thing I will say is that I believe the it is like a full is- hour before the character of Tony Erdman is introduced. Really, yeah. Oh, in, correct. Into the world yeah. of- no, I thought that you meant at the oil field. I'm like, no. I don't think so. But yes, right. There's an hour left when we reach the oil. Field. Well, and that first hour is really. What the whole idea of Tony Erdman represents, mm-hmm. which is not just not just a parent trying to save their child from a toxic system that is poisoning them, mm-hmm. but also telling them to break the simulation and to step out from this, not just this worldview, but these rules and regulations and strictures that mm-hmm. you are obeying as if you're going to burn alive if you yeah. take one inch out of it, which is a choice and you don't realize it. To look away from the cave wall. Exactly. She has to look away from the cave wall. That, yes. That's good. Exactly. That's why I say break the simulation. It's like, this yeah. is not real. This mm-hmm. world is not you real. You don't have to accept this as your reality. Nothing yes. about this is Daughter. real. Can I say my favorite thing about this movie? Yes, yeah, please. of course. That uh, I was want to say Elsa. Inez, she... Elsa. She, she could... Just tell her friends or anyone, oh, this is my dad. He's trying to embarrass me. She never does. Correct. This is the best thing about the movie. Yeah. There's something deep down within her that knows she needs to let this happen. And I think at first she tells herself it'll just be more embarrassing. Yes. But then as it goes on, like when she sees him, like before they go to the club, I believe Mm -hmm. she sort of, she 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 starts laughing uncontrollably that it's just, that it's, that he's still there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She wants it to continue. And then he ends up being her ally in the club. Yeah. In the club when she is just, <laughs> and it's like cutting why, to the feeling, bawling oh my on the God. couch. Why the does club? she sing the greatest love of all if she doesn't, on some level, already buy into it? Yeah, well, you yeah, know, yeah. And by that point, we're nearing the end already. Yeah. What I love about this movie is that there is no moment where we learn that her father, when 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 their parents were divorced and she was spending time with her dad at his house, that they would play Whitney Houston on the piano and sing along together. That is never established in the movie. Mm-hmm. But because of the two hours and 10 minutes, maybe, yeah, like probably two hours and 10 minutes yeah. of careful emotional plotting. And and the same thing goes for like the cheese grater. Like, like these little hints of a past life without specifically pointing out this is the relationship they used to have. Mm-hmm. Like that is the ghost hanging over so much of this film is what the relationship once was. And by the time she sings at the, at the, at the house party, um, greatest love of all, like you just, 
my whole point is that normally one might complain that there is no setup to the fact that something yeah. as specific as a every single word of a Whitney Houston sing-along wasn't established. Yeah. It was established. It was established in character dynamic, and that's what makes Marinati such a fucking genius, or one more thing yeah. that makes her such a fucking genius, is how she works with actors. I mean, her process is fascinating. She does, like, extensive rehearsal, mm-hmm. but she does extensive rehearsal, like, while she's doing the blocking. And and she will she will shoot something and then restage it and shoot it again until she finds it with the actors. It it's like you know it's like Mike Lee, it's Altman, but the script isn't really changing that much. Mm-hmm. Like, um, but she just won't rest until the dynamic is right and and by seeking input from the actors in a way that makes everything so performance driven and character driven. I mean, the script in this movie I think is 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 an airtight ninety, um, but she just has such a facility um, for emotional backstory in the present tense, yeah. giving it in the present tense. And if you haven't seen everybody else, um, oh, I need please to see, it, see it. It's fucking it's devastating. Good. I need to see it still. It's and it's, really and it's it, you know, it, I think Tony Erdman is a masterpiece and I think that is like a near masterpiece. Um, not that I need to be splitting hairs, but I think Tony Erdman is the better film and the more realized film. And I think that it is uh, Marinade's calling card as a director. Now I think it's like, this is what I do, mm-hmm. but it's all in that film too. I, I think uh, I was gonna. I had a point and I've lost it. <gasps> a different point, though. Oh, I know what I was gonna say. To the say point, both points. Yeah, to the point of the length. When uh, we'll talk about this more when we talk about Twin Peaks: The Return, oh. and I won't. Which say- I believe we're talking about for the next two hours on this episode. Mm-hmm. Correct. I don't think we've gone long enough yet. No, I'm not. No, and I'm not have. saying wrap it up. Either. So I won't use the example from that that I want to use because I don't think you've gotten there yet. I have four but episodes left. When have I gotten there? No. When, when we get to the naked party, it wouldn't have the same impact if this was a two hour movie and this is happening at the ninety minute mark. Correct. Than if we are in a three hour movie and this is happening at almost two and a half yeah. hours. Yeah. Because and it's such relief to watch her do this. Yes. And it's so it's joyous. Yes. It is utter and true joy to watch her embrace awkward and human folly. And finally break the simulation mm-hmm. and reject the world that she has been subscribing to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that another thing that you can't get without the length is it, the film's philosophy itself. I mean, I think what it boils down to is like the only things worth taking seriously is life and death are life and death mm-hmm. and everything else is uh, you were meant to find it's the fun. joy. Yeah, but... Another key piece of the film's philosophy, in my opinion, is that you, when you, when you make memories, you can only make them if you are in, if you are in the moment, if you are being present, and you are not searching or trying to manufacture a moment of joy. And and you're not even going to realize once it happens until a week or two down the line. Like you find the joy and the memories that matter and the shag carpeting of life. Mm-hmm. And the same thing goes for this film. It is. It's obviously a shaggy film. That's where that gets tossed around a lot about Tony Erdman, and it should. But you don't even like. There are moments in this film, for instance, um, for instance, like the cheese grater, or or when. Um, well, let me let me finish my point, and then we can talk more specifically. But like, if the film is not two hours and forty minutes, if it sanded off all of its edges and only got to the essential, the essentiality of everything, that would be in direct contradiction to the film's point of view right. about what life is all about. Right. And that's, it is, it is a, it is a film. It is a manifestation of its own ideas in a way that you rarely see in film that mm-hmm. both form and philosophy are perfectly married. 
and it's jaw-dropping. It's staggering. I, I, I think it's one of the best 10 movies of the decade, having just seen it a third time. I, I'm just in awe. And whether, you know, Same. you know, everyone doesn't have to think that, but I am just in awe of this film. Excited for the 100-minute American remake. It better be. Just kidding. It's it's probably... I would I would predict it's going to be at a healthy, I mean, like, 210. Yeah, uh, I will predict... Bridesmaids is long I will predict and shaggy. it's not going to happen. I you hope really it, think it's... I actually... I take the tact of... Wait, I want to see this movie. Are... Arlena and Jenny Connor. Jenny Connor. I, I, I don't attach. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They're currently writing it, as I understand. Oh, okay. Well, nice. I mean, we can talk about. I mean, we can talk about. Um, we can talk about Lena Dunham as a problematic public figure, and I think that we should. We're not. Go, we're not going to Kristen here. Kristen Wig and Annie Mumolo need to write that script. I agree. Right? I agree with you on that, but I do think that I do think that Lena Dunham has a talent as a writer for hiding memories in plain sight like in girls for instance like a lot of the most like some of the more men i love girls so maybe i shouldn't sigh it's all in the character dynamics and like you don't even realize that you just saw one of the best moments of the season until a couple episodes later that's true seeing how people are reacting to a dynamic that was established previously like i actually you know i i i i'm i am not defending anything Lena Dunham has said in the public sphere, but I do think as a writer, when it comes to a builder of narrative, mm-hmm. I do think that she's a good choice. I do too. Yeah. I guess, I guess. But I let's do talk too. about Marinade's uh, Tony Erdman. Another, my other point that I wanted to make that is tied into the naked party is we don't see the decision on her face to do it. She's taking the dress off uh-huh. and the doorbell rings and she freezes. Shot from behind. Hilarious, and after she's taken a fork to try and yes, yeah. the dress. it reminds me the of transcendentalism. That uh, there are also shots of at the end when the father takes off his phallus, yeah, his furry phallus. Well, when he asks the hotel yeah. concierge to help him out, and it's like the happy ending basically, and you don't see his face. Yeah, I and noticed it's just that. Like, it's That's this, a good point. It's this transcendentalist thing of not giving the audience the word and they have to like put it together for themselves and it's off screen or it's over here. And all we know is she's trying to get the dress off and then she takes the dress off and she goes to answer the door. It's great. Yeah. That's what happens. Can I see the decision? My my, my, quickly just, I'm not even making a point about the naked party. It's just a line. But when like, uh, one of her coworkers is told that it's a naked party. He's like, well, if it's good for the team. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just like cutting through that like corporate bullshit. Well, it's team building. Okay, I'll do it. When yeah. it's so heart wrenching when the assistant shows up <gasps> oh. and she's naked. She's like, she's, hello. I'm ready. <laughs> it's only until she sees her boss and they're like standing next to each other. And it's like, Ew. Uh, but um, she's. She dives in because mm-hmm. she's got to. Can I just she's take... She's an unpaid intern. Can I just take... Oh, God. Can I just take back my heavy sigh? I don't want to sigh that heavy about Lena Dunham and Jenny sure. Connor right No, that's... I, no, I, I think You're that... You're allowed to react. I think that Le- Lena Dunham has just, blamed women in the public square. Like, I think that that sigh is merited. I just think in 2018, there are better choices. Sure. That's probably There probably true. are. I mean, they're definitely. That's all. Definitely that's really all the sigh was for. Because yeah. I love girls. I do. I've, I do. One of my favorite shows. Kristen Wiig should write it herself. Yeah. You know what I love? I love that Brandon and I saw this movie together. Maybe he remembers. <laughs> he this time I remember. Tony Erdman. We saw Tony Erdman. We did a double. I was we, so I'm sure, he, I'm sure he doesn't at the new art. I'm sure he doesn't remember. We did a double feature of Patterson at the Landmark. Mm. 
Which, funny story. It was Chris, a crisp early January day. Correct. Nice. And then we had lunch at Plan Check. Yeah. And then we went to the New York to see Tony Erdman. But when we went to see Patterson, one of the most grounding, meditative, transcendent, like, transcendent experiences you can have in a movie theater for those of us who liked it, just to like, get you to slow down and not panic all the time, as the lights went down, I thought to myself, I think I didn't blow out my candle in my bedroom before I came here. Oh. <laughs> and I had a fucking panic attack <laughs> silently to Cause, myself because mom knocked it down with her tail oh. no because that's what i was thinking burned your house down. and so i actually i got up in the first like 15 20 minutes of the movie walked i didn't walk out of the theater but i walked oh like, i thought towards you went the door to pee to, no i so you do remember I, no i texted my roommate can you please make sure that my candle is out in my bedroom I, and then i and then i went back up and i was able to watch the movie i remember you told I think you like either whispered it to me or at the end of the movie, you're like, that's why I stepped out. I'm sure I told you. Nice. Fun. But we saw Tony Erdman together. We did. And it was so, I was so absorbed. I, you just vanished beside me. You weren't wow. even there anymore. Fair. I mean, Tony <laughs> Erdman is a better movie than I am a person. Oh. I do. I mean, that's dark. I generally, it's not. I mean, it, it is, it is, Tony Erdman is perfection and I am not. You're one of the best people of the decade, Daniel. Oh. Just this decade, where, not the rest. Yeah, of where, where on the list? <laughs> One through ten. Guys, I'm sweating All right. so much. Does oh, anyone else have I, anything else to say? Well, no. Just, I have a lot to say about Tony Erdman. <laughs> I mean, I, I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, Is there a director attached now? Uh, no, sorry. I, I, think, I keep bringing up the I think that, remake. I think I that Sandra Huller gives one of the best performances that year, and so does Peter Simonacek. I'm realizing we've, we're going long, and I won't make. I've been. I've been monologuing a lot on this episode, which I hate more than anyone at the table does. You caught you got me monologuing. I, I promise to Incredibles quote. I promise to our <laughs> listeners I hate it more than you do. I just it sometimes takes me a while to find my point. I just have a lot of feelings. But I do have a lot of thoughts on this film and uh if you're interested I'd be happy to link you to an essay I wrote nice. about Oh wonderful. I do think that For it, the film experience. I do think plug them. Yes. This is a movie about the frayed ends of a family line learning to come back together. Mm-hmm. And there is something so moving about a- after watching an hour of them really not liking what the like not picking up what the other one is putting down when he leaves after they've like had a fight she misses like a go- taking her boss and his and his wife out and she's like furious at him. She goes to the balcony and like watches him get in his cab and then she just starts breaking down and crying because she wishes that her relationship with her father was better. And this Mm -hmm. is something that, you know, my dad and I are like at a pretty good place in our relationship right now, but I relate so hard to the feeling of like, not that she was looking forward to this visit because they, she didn't know he was coming. He just showed Mm -hmm. up, but I look forward to visits with my father. And then sometimes we just really get at each other's throats and it's really bad. And then as soon as we have parted ways, I just will start crying because it's like, I wanted that to go so much better because I love this person so much so that they have this deep love for each other, but don't speak the same language. And so the movie is in a lot of ways about them learning to speak a common language and respect the other more and listen to the other more and to, and for both of them to drop the act, either in dressing up in the wig or dropping the capitalist shtick. Um, even though one necessitates the other, but it's also like a strong anti-capitalist movie. It's a stronger Mm -hmm. together movie. I think it's very smart about, um, about global capitalism, especially in Europe. Um, I think that it's very telling that like Inez takes, or, or, or that her boss's wife would rather go to a mall than a famous palace. Um, like it's, 
it, it's just a beautiful movie that has a lot on its mind, and I and I am doing the exact thing I said I wouldn't do. So I'm done. Wow. Done. This has been movies <laughs> IMO. <laughs> this has been Sweat IMO Volume Two. Um, you can find us on Twitter at movies IMO. Please. Find us on your podcatcher of choice and rate us five stars and tell us what's your favorite father-daughter movie. <laughs> no one does these assignments. I know. What's father your, of the Bride? What's your favorite father-daughter, Misty? <laughs> Why did we do Father of the Bride? It just came to me. I'm sorry. Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. You're going to hell for that. Uh, well, I was already. Jesus Christ. Going to hell. What's your favorite father-daughter, Misty? Get it? Nice. I'm hot and Brandon's tired. upset. Uh, I'm hot. My name is Ben Embi. You can find me on Twitter at Real Todd Haynes. I don't interact anymore, but occasionally I will uh, throw something off. He'll stir the shit. I'll trouble <laughs> every day. I'll uh, for yeah. everyone and then leave. <laughs> Good work, Ben. Botrevi. My name is Daniel Crook. You can find me on the internet at Daniel Crook with three O's. And if you want to find me at my current address, I have just moved in with Dale Dickey at a trailer park in Southern Washington. Oh. I oh, I forgot that's what this episode was about. Dale? <laughs> we talked for, we talked a long you time about it. You forgot you saw the movie. You you forgot that you were mostly silent for, for a chunk <laughs> for of For like a good hour. <laughs> you just, just let me and quietly. Daniel just gush over the film. Well, that's fine. When it comes to Leave No Trace, which, which jumped up to like my sixth favorite of the year. Sam Thompson's number Hell one. Hell Yeah. It's definitely going to jump up I don't like the way Ann Thompson talked about Sorry to Bother You <laughs> on that episode. I won't go into detail. I found it upsetting. Mm-hmm. But like like Tom, when it comes to Leave No Trace, Dale, I really like living here. Wow. Um, my name is Brandon Kirby. Good. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> my name. Wait, who does that in one of the movies we watch on the 4th of July? You remember? So was it the dad and Mimi in St. Louis? <laughs> at the, at the dinner table. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. When she takes her phone call, he's just like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm Brandon Kirby. You can find me on Twitter at BK Kirby. Leave no traces. Number eight on my list. And number one is the film everyone should see on August 10th, 2018. Madeline's Madeline. Wow. Thank you. That's a plug because we're not talking about it on this pod. But what we are might. we? I, why can't we? Okay, I don't know. <laughs> what are we talking room. about next week, though? Speaking of Sundance films. I'm next sweating. week, we're going to talk about... What's his name? Bo, Bo Burnham. Burnham. <laughs> Bo Burnham. Were you not on YouTube in 2008? <laughs> Debut feature film. No, I was like seven years older than you. You're three years older than yeah, me. Yeah. I, I also wasn't, but when I went to college in 2009, people were like, you know Bo Burnham? Great web comic. I really only know who he is because he made this movie. Wow, I'm envious of you because I don't really care for his comedy too much. He's nice. in... Um, I don't give a shit about in, him until this in, movie. Well, he's in The Big Sick, Brandon's number four movie of last year or something. Oh. What? He's, in, he's in that? I forgot. Oh, he's, he's like one of the stand-ups yeah. who does the thing. And uh, So yeah, we're going to talk about 8th grade, Sunday and Sensation. I can't wait. And uh, Ben can Ben could wait. Ben could wait. <laughs> Heaven can wait. I, th- I think that this is going to be another very special episode. Of it's going to be another episode where I sit quietly <laughs> and I'm like, all right. No, I disagree. I th- all right. Don't, no, don't no. even like the homework assignments. No, I don't. You don't even. You'll, what are, you can well, just go watch your program. I, I will room. be knee deep in moderating Q and A's. What? So I'm not doing the homework for next week. Uh, but what is the homework for you two? Let me name it. <laughs>
because these are all films. Well, one I haven't seen. Fat Girl, which I haven't seen. I'm looking. Oh, forward I want to watch that. I am looking forward it's to seeing minutes, Fat Girl. Time. I'll try and find time. I think it's like 95. Diary of a Teenage Girl, my number oh, four my film number of three. whatever yeah, year that was. My number three, 2015. My number three, Carol, and 45 Years, Diary of a Teenage Girl. Wow. Find a better top three. I could. Pretty Yours. easily. <laughs> and The Edge of Seventeen starring pop sensation and Oscar nominee Haley Steinfeld. Mm-hmm. And who I saw perform live one time at, at a GLAAD event. And Why? And when she went on stage, I yelled, Edge of Seventeen! You should wow. have yelled, True Grit! <laughs> no, I mean, we can, uh, we'll talk about Haley on the next episode. But she did, she did like, she didn't look at me in the audience, but she did look towards the audience with like, where'd that come from? <laughs> who the fuck saw that <laughs> movie? Should have been nominated. Who knows I'm still acting? Oh, God. She's such, she's such a good actress. Should she have is. Been she should do more of it. She should have been nominated. She should have been nominated. We'll talk about it next week. <laughs> Ben's just ready to rip into her. I hope that you like eighth grade more than all of us. Wouldn't that be fun? No. And it should, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't decide how we feel about movies. No, and I them. don't. I'm just saying. I hope that, then my whole point is like we're I, allowed to not be excited. Of about course a movie. we are, and that's why I'm saying that I hope that you love it the most because it would be surprising. So we'll see. See you then. Love you both. <laughs> Bye. The winner is Jane Fonda. Thank you. Thank you very much, members of the Academy, and thank all of you who applauded. There's a great deal to say, and I'm not going to say it tonight. I would just like to really thank you very much.